Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and of course, this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today, we are both very excited to be talking to you about the relatively recent, it's a recent movie, relatively recent movie, The Girl with All the Gifts. Shine. Come on, up you get. Transit. On the move. Hey, Dr. Caldwell. Hello, Melanie. Morning, class. Good morning, Miss Justina. Once upon a time, there was a woman the most beautiful and amazing woman in all the world. No, you just touched her. Watch. No, please don't do that. They're only children. Stop it! One day, she was attacked by a monster. But then a girl came running up and killed it. And the woman said, you are my special girl, and I'll never let you go. She saved me, and you're still afraid of her? Yeah, and you should be too. I am producing a vaccine, and she is the main ingredient. What am I? Hope. That's what you are. I just want to live. Everyone wants that. She loves you. What the hell is this? The world is falling apart. Yeah! You can save people, Melanie. Ah! You can save everybody. Oh my God. What did you do? Now, do you have a synopsis for us, Mr. Huddleston? I do, and I don't. We may, I don't. We may have to talk about this synopsis. I don't know because I don't know if I totally agree with all of this. But it, as you said, it's a 2017 film. It's it's an English film. It stars Gemma Arterton. I'm never sure how to pronounce her name. Glenn Close, Patty Considine, um, some other actors, and it was directed by Colm McCarthy. And the synopsis from Rotten Tomatoes is, in the future, a strange fungus has changed nearly everyone into a thoughtless, flesh-eating monster. When a scientist and a teacher find a girl who seems to be immune to the fungus, they all begin a journey to save humanity. That's not exactly what happens, but... So, exactly this happened. one was your pick. I was aware of this film. Uh, I didn't... All I knew that it had to do with zombies... Um, and this got a lot of buzz at the so it's it's listed either two, 2016 or 2017 but you read the book which i don't know if i was aware that it was a book first so so what did you think and i and i would definitely like to talk about differences between the book and the and the film if if there are some maybe yeah, i um so travis guba made me aware of this property 
uh, when he was visiting recently. And, you know, he talked about the discrepancies between the book and the movie and certain themes, but he didn't get super into the details. But what he left me with was, it's really good. You should check it out. So I had just finished the Wheel of Time series and I'm like, oh, great. You know, that was 14 books of my life. Now what am I going to do? You know, mm -hmm. um, and so I was eager to find a book. So I went to the library and they had it and I read it. It's not a long read. It's a relatively slim book. It, it's a it's a good read. I gobbled it right up. If anything, I wished that the the author had sort of marinated in it you know indulged himself a little more in some of these mm -hmm. scenes because it moves right along uh i'm talking about the book um it uh it's i don't know anything about the author but he has done graphic novel stuff like he's written for comic books mm -hmm. so the story is great i think the character development is great uh the kind of concept like the the theme of it and the 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 conceptualization of the world in which it is felt very it it felt very much like reading you know the sort of novelized version of a really terrific graphic novel even down to the description you could almost see it on the page hmm. um and being a comics guy like i don't know if you like reading horror or if you even like reading but uh i i would highly recommend the book I'm a slow reader and I read it over a weekend. Like, just couldn't put it down. I just loved it. Okay. Gobbled it up. And again, it's not a big book. So, so then that's what made me say, Hey, do you have any interest in seeing this movie? Having just read the book, I wanted to check out the movie and I'm, I'm actually going to do, I'm going to kick it back to you. Cause I want to hear your take on having watched the movie without having read the book, because I do feel that, having read the book right before seeing the movie has affected my viewing of the film. Like the book is very much in my mind watching the film. So I want to hear sure. your kind of unbiased take first. Okay. And I'm the same I'm slow. I love reading, but I'm a slow reader and I almost exclusively read horror. Most that's mostly what I read. Occasionally I'll read something, you know, a little bit out of that, but I, but I like to read horror. So um, my thoughts on this. So, I didn't, I was just going simply, my expectations on this were based on this movie being released in 2016 and it getting some buzz, at least among horror fans. I saw this on a lot of, you know, best of horror lists that year. And it was one that I, I just kind of never, this is what I say at times that I like about doing this show with you is that there are you know, these movies that you have sort of in the back of your mind and you're always, oh, I'll watch that sometime. I'm not in the mood right now or whatever, you know. So I always like this, that it's like, okay, that that was one that I wanted to see and just never got around to. And now finally I have. Um, when it started, so I didn't watch a trailer beforehand and I thought it was about zombies, but it starts out and to kind of flesh out the background of this a little bit. It starts out with this girl named... Um, what is her name? Is it Melissa? Well, that's funny. I, I'm such a fan of it and I forget it's I'm spacing on it at the moment. So the girl's Melanie is her Melanie. name. Yeah. And uh, this girl, I don't know exactly her age, like maybe 11 or 12, something like that. I don't know what the, the book says, but so she is in a, it's a military base. It's in England and there's her and a group of another 20 kids or so. 
and they're imprisoned and they um each day they'll take them into a classroom which Gemma Archerton uh is the teacher for them and i thought as it was starting out um i thought maybe i was mistaken about it being a zombie story because it i thought it was going to be a stranger things 11 kind of a thing i thought they were going to be controlling things with their mind um but it turns out not to be that but uh they're teaching the kids for whatever reason and i'd like to talk about that if the book gets gets into that and Gemma arterton is she is very so basically my kind of understanding of it is the kids are half zombie and half human so this girl and and melanie is the only one that really we really see much uh about her the other kids are just kind of there Okay. You we do spoil these movies for those. Oh yeah, yeah. We're going to spoil. We're going yeah, we're we're to talk about all of everything. So, so we'll just say this is a good movie, and if you're interested in this and you don't want it to be spoiled, just just watch it. Right. Um, because that's part of the fun of this story is sort of how it unfolds. But exactly, spoil it. We're going to spoil it. So, but the teacher is very, and the the girl Melanie seems. I mean, she just seems like a little girl, but despite the fact that she's in this kind of terrible these you know she's a prisoner and these military people are not there's a you know they wake them up each day and what does it say okay you you know they're referred to as abortions um but so the uh but she seems very she's very kind and seems very hopeful you know on all of this and uh then you have glenn close who is the scientist and she is trying to develop a cure for this fungus using these kids. Um, and uh, the base gets attacked and ultimately they, um, the girl, the teacher, Glenn Close, and then this, uh, I forget what his rank was, but Patty Considine or however you said, that. these are all <laughs> names that I have difficulty pronouncing. But uh, he is a sergeant, I think, you yeah. know, this military guy. And so they flee the base and um, then, you know, kind of the rest of the uh, story unfolds. One thing that I thought was really interesting about this, and I'll say, you know, I've been talking about this since the beginning of the podcast. Zombies in general, it's a genre that I'm burned out on, but but. You know, you have this something I've never seen before with this half zombie thing with these kids. Um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting and interesting about this, and I I want to see what your thoughts as far as if the book goes into more depth of this. No one is really a villain in this per se. It it's it's it felt to me like people act in real life that, you know, Glenn Close, Glenn Close is kind of a villain, but you get the feeling that she is, it's not like she's a cruel person. She wants to save humanity. Um, the sergeant you've initially, you feel like is a bad guy. And as the story goes on, he seems to be someone who's a compassionate and empathetic person you know, a lot of the other soldiers treat these these kids as monsters. 
and um, you know, he seems to have some empathy and and some compassion. So I really liked, you know, you you don't really have cartoon uh, characters in this. I felt people were pretty fleshed out well. And um, this can't have been much of a budget on this film, but everything looks great. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, um, I feel like they spent it in wise ways, the budget yes. that they did have. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I've kind of rambled a lot. I don't, I don't really know exactly where I'm, I'm going with this, but, but I just thought it was a, it, you quickly get out of this, uh, military base that they're in and out into the world. And, and I liked that because the, you know, this is a pretty dark and heavy film and the, the stuff of these kids being treated the way that they're treated. If that had been three fourths of the film, it would have been really depressing, you know? So I was glad I thought, Oh, if, if the whole movie is going to be them just in this, you know, base and then they escape at the end, I don't know if I, you know, I'm going to enjoy watching this, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it I thought it was, uh, a, a, a new kind of spin on a genre. Yeah, I agree. I thought as I started to read it, um, it is not directly related to 28 days later or the sequel. Um, but they're fast zombies mm -hmm. in a similar way. And the description of them, I think, borrowed uh, smartly from that. Uh, that 28 days later is some, um, you know, mutation of the rabies virus. The rage virus, I think they call it. In, they yeah. call it the rage virus, but it's really... I think they even say it in one of the movies that, you know, it's similar to rabies. It drives people in sort of, you know, a bloodlust. Mm. Um, whereas this is a fungus. And I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, you know, the David Attenborough. I don't remember if it's Planet Earth or what series it was. But there is a kind of fungus that lives in the rainforest that affects ants. And what it does is when an ant is infected by it, it hijacks the ant's nervous system. Mm -hmm. And the ant, as the infection spreads through the ant's body, it makes it sort of like shoves the ant out of the way in the brain and starts driving the ant like a zombie. And it, it makes... I think, in the, don't they call it like a zombie fungus or something yeah, like that? Yeah, mm -hmm. they go... And, and in the book, at least, I don't know how, I don't remember how they get into it. They name it in the movie, and it is the name of the fungus that exists. Yeah. In the book, we don't have any answers. So in the book, well, as in the movie, we start post the fall of the world. This has already happened. You know, society has collapsed under this zombie apocalypse. But it it goes into a little more depth in the book about the times the the sort of way in which things collapsed anyway what 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 this fungus does to the ant is it drives it to the highest point it can climb to and then a sport of a a sort of a big phallic spore thing erupts out of the ant's head and sprays uh spores 
everywhere mm-hmm. that then the higher the ant can get, the more it falls down. And the fungus apparently has uh, many different adaptations in it. So, it, you know, any given version of this fungus is very specifically attuned to a certain species of ant. So if, you know, fungus derivation A comes into contact with ant species B, nothing happens. But if it comes mm-hmm. in contact with ant species A, it infects that ant and right and mm-hmm. it, it it's uh it's really the stuff of horror science fiction what this does and so in this property they say they they don't know what happened they don't know if it jumped species or somebody sort of speculates that it would need a lot of help like if somebody was trying to kind of weaponize this and it got out of control but really what we're seeing here is a fungal infection <clears throat> that drives people to do the same thing so what the scientist sort of gets into is it's a very slow maturing fungus. So it lives in our saliva and our blood and it hijacks the brain very quickly, but it, it, it in and of itself can't become sexually mature and it can't spore. It hasn't happened yet. And it's been decades. It's been like 20 years since the fall of the world. And so that hasn't happened yet. Uh, but but the scientist has been tracking the progress and has a bunch of samples over time of how the thing is approaching its own independent sexual maturity where it could spore as a mm-hmm. fungus. In the meantime, what it does is it immediately co-ops our nervous systems and it it spreads through bites through saliva and blood. Um, and I like that the book has a little more time to get into some of the nuts and bolts. I think that the adaptation from the book to the movie is actually, I didn't, I didn't go back and double check and I wish that I had, I, it might've been the author of the book who wrote the film adaptation actually, okay. uh, because it's very smart. Like you can't, you can't stuff. It's a slim book, but you can't get everything. It would have been a three and a half hour movie if you wanted to get mm-hmm. in all that good stuff. And I, there's a part of me that wishes that they could have because I really dig all of that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, but but they made it they made smart choices. The movie feels pretty lean. It keeps moving forward. You know, it never sags. You don't get tired of it. Right. So I think that they they cut wisely. Um, and, and it's just just having read the book, I miss some of that stuff, you know. So, for example, in the book, it's not all. In the movie, what happens is the sort of walkers kind of, they call them hungries in the book. Mm -hmm. They they kind of overwhelm the base and there's just too many of them and they push down the fence and things kind of collapse in this military base that they're using as a research facility and our our heroes have to scramble to get out. And it's it's an exciting scene. It's a good scene. But nobody else really makes it out of the base. In the book, there are there are a whole different group of people called that they call junkers that are just people who have chosen sort of survivalists is what they say initially people who didn't trust the government and didn't want any part of this whatever so they have survived over the past 20 years in these sort of there's a city they call beacon that is apparently no picnic of a place to be in it's pretty autocratic and whatever but it's 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 what society remained maintained of itself and they're in this little outlier base on the opposite side. London is between Beacon and where they are. So when they when 
what happens in the book is the junkers attack the base using the hungries as a biological weapon. So they've mm. covered themselves in tar so they aren't they can't be smelled and they sort of herd the hungries and have you know because they want to loot the base basically. So in the book, there is this dynamic between always trying to not get bitten by the hungries and not get caught because the hungries don't think they just smell you and they can track you the way a fast zombie would. Um, but there is also other humans that are after your they're after you and they want to either kill you or rape you or enslave you or eat you or mm-hmm take your stuff or a combination of all the above. So they're, they're even scarier because they can think and they can plan. So that adds this extra layer, this sort of walking dead layer to, to the book that doesn't happen in the movie. And I, I missed that a little bit. Um, I don't, they, they also switched up all the gender in, in the movie and uh, not the gender i'm sorry the race race in the casting in the movie and i don't have a problem with that except that having just read the book like the little girl at melanie is this little blonde white girl and just to know who is the teacher that she falls in love with is african-american and so seeing it flip-flopped a little bit just makes me be like uh okay um in the book, the kids and the hungries in general look dead. Like they look, they're bone white and they're skinny as hell with sunken eyes and their heart only beats a handful of times a minute. And the fungus has made them extremely efficient. Like all they eat is protein. So if they can't find a human or a cat or an animal or something living to devour, like what they feed them in the base is a bowl of maggots. Yeah. yeah. And they, they eat the maggots in their body only once a week. They only eat once a week and their body metabolizes that so efficiently. Mm. Um, and they're also they're sort so they're sort of superhuman. They're sort of Melanie is more intelligent than all of the other kids, but they're all like higher than average intelligence. And right. And so mm-hmm. in the base, they're trying to figure out why are these kids different? Like, why do they act like kids? But they're clearly hungries. Like there's no, there's no confusing it. You look at them and they look like the undead, but they don't act like the undead. They can think and reason and talk. And as it turns out, they can have emotion and feel things like, um, my main, I, I enjoyed the movie a lot. I think that the little girl who plays Melanie in the movie does a very good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't want anything I say to sound like I'm disparaging that. That being said, I think I think it's hard to find a really a really great child actor. That's just hard because kids don't have the life experience. And then you put them in a post-apocalyptic thing like this where you're going to have to leverage your imagination. You know, nobody nobody's lived through a po- post-apocalyptic thing. So you will, you're going to have to use your imagination. But most adults have experienced loss of one kind or another. And that's something concrete that you can anchor on and use your imagination to be like, well, what if that was everyone I knew? And what if, you know, Mm -hmm. and kids don't have the benefit of that experience. So I think one thing in the movie that it felt uh, that a little lacking to me is as, as, as good and and charming and talented an actor is this, uh, this Melanie in the film is 
you know, in a book, you can write whatever you want, and it's so well drawn in the book that yeah. that I I miss that a little bit. I mean, I think this whole movie hangs on Melanie's performance. Melanie is the girl with all the gifts, um, which we learn she's into classical. The teacher here reads them Greek myth, and Melanie loves the story of Pandora. And Pandora in Greek is the girl with all the gifts, and she's the mm -hmm. one box and lets all the evil out in the world um anyway now i'm rambling but one of the things i like the most about this property in general whether it's the book or the movie is how clever the concept is like the arc we get from these kids being sort of half zombie in some way and the what feels familiar of this human scientist trying to kind of reverse engineer that for a cure and the sort of unexpected ending we get to where i mean i guess we're spoiling it but where where it turns out that there is no dawn that this is just the new chapter of humanity that the kids are actually hybrids they they're the second generation fungus kills the first generation of infected but the kids are, were actually in utero when their parents were infected and in crossing the blood brain barrier they did get the infection, but it became a symbiotic relationship. So it sort mm -hmm. of weaponizes the kids in positive ways for survival. Uh, but they're not really purely human anymore. They're human fungal hybrids. Mm -hmm. And as they're going through London, they discover that this thing has reached its sexually mature, mature stage and it's ready to spore, but it needs an environmental trigger to do that. And so at the end of the movie and at the end of the book, Melanie lights it on fire and that triggers this enormous release of the spores that it was going to, they established it's going to kill anybody that hasn't been, anybody who inhales this particulate is going to, you know. So it's the death of humanity and the birth of chapter two of humanity, which is this fungal human hybrid. And the movie and the book ends with, she managed to keep her teacher alive. Nobody else makes it from the team. And the teacher is then teaching this new generation of kids that they find wild in London how to, you know, be the new generation of humans. And I thought, wow, it's so fresh. Like, that's so original. Yeah. And I, I think it would be, I don't know. I didn't even, it's not occurring to me. I didn't even look it up now. Maybe there is a graphic novel version of this, but I'm like, this would make a great graphic novel. This would be so. Oh, for sure. Yeah. On paper, you know, if you got a good illustrator. Oh, yeah. Well, and you talked about, um, so they, that's something that happens sort of late in the film is they find, or actually Melanie finds some other, maybe like 10 or 12 kids who are completely feral. Um, and they are, you know, hybrids like her, yeah. but have not had the benefit of being raised by humans. So they are kind of just like these little cavemen, you know, that raised themselves. And that was one part of the film that I thought they did a really good job with because done poorly that could have turned out really silly you know because they have long hair and sort of war paint on and Red you know hot, stuff yeah. 
but they're very scary. I mean, they're really frightening in the film. Um, and, and I thought that was, was handled really well, but you're right. It is a fresh, uh, you know, it is a fresh, it's scary from the standpoint of for humans, it's, you know, and, but Melanie says something to the, the sergeant about something along the lines of you had your time and, you know, your time is over and it's our time now. And it's not even in a sinister way, really. It's just, you know, uh, one thing that I wondered is, and I don't know, tell me with the book, is it, is it from anyone's pers perspective? Like, was, is it from Melanie's perspective? And if, and do we know, I wondered, does, is she completely, um, are her thoughts completely her own or is the, like, I wondered at the end when she releases all the spores, was the fungus, you know, convincing her to do that? You know what I mean? Does that make sense? What was, is, is, are her thoughts controlled by the fungus somewhat or no. other than just that she needs to feed? No. And one of the things that, that the book gets to do more effectively, because it's very hard to show people's inner states mm -hmm. on screen. Yeah. Is that, that when the base falls and Melanie, cause the children in the base are not, they're very carefully locked down. They're in these sort of wheelchairs where their hands and feet are strapped in and they're seat belted in and their heads are strapped back. And there's no, they're not lax about it. So these kids have no freedom of any kind. They don't have freedom of movement. Um, in, in, in both the book and the film, they have this stuff called e-blocker. That's a sort of a, chemical gel that stinks and it covers up the human scent so everybody is liberally applying e-blocker to themselves religiously every day so even if you were near the hungries they wouldn't smell you you don't smell like a human being um and of course in the book and they don't really get into this in the movie but in the book they start to run out of e-blocker Oh, okay. but, but pretty early on, as the base falls and Melanie's free, she's confronted at the, at, for the first time with this sort of biological, the fungal drive to feed and, and bite and infect and, uh, you know, feels it sort of hijacking her mind. And it's it's really riveting in the book because it does get inside Melanie's head and and the the struggle the internal struggle she has like she doesn't she loves she's in love with Miss Justino like mm -hmm. she worships her it's a mother figure it's a sister figure it's just she loves her with all of her being so it's that love to not to protect her and not hurt her versus this sort of biological imperative of like bite 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 eat feed you know um, and it, it was really well drawn in the book, but she masters it. She figures out, you know, and she gets better at t when she starts to feel it coming on. She separates herself from them. And with practice, she comes to be able to control it. Mm -hmm. um, and we sort of see that, like, if you know what you're looking, I was looking for that in the movie. They don't have a scene where they directly deal with it they just sort of take for granted that, okay, well, she's dangerous, but she's free and we seem to be okay. So keep putting on your e-blocker and they don't get, they don't go down that rabbit hole, but it's, it's one of the juicy, um, you know, kind of one of the parameters of the book that she is constantly 
afraid that she's going to lose control and <laughs> eat them basically mm-hmm. in the yeah. book. Uh, but she gets better at it. And I think that by the end it is, they, they also draw Melanie really well in the book. She's a genius. She's and they're sort of, they, they call her subject number one, although she's not the first one that they caught because she is ab for she's 11 and she's, absolutely genius level intelligence like remembers everything she's ever read or been told and like she's crazy smart mm-hmm. so a big part of the book is her putting together like she doesn't realize she's a hungry you know and then she sort of mm-hmm. when when she starts to come to terms with that like that whole process of like what what am i and why are they afraid of me and you know mm-hmm. it's all That's it's interesting all great, great stuff um I honestly don't remember in the book. I having read Wheel of Time so recently, which hops around from person to person, like this chapter will be about Nanave from Nanave's first person perspective. It's all third person, but it's written like, you know, blah, 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 Nanave thought, you know, mm-hmm. and it sort of takes on the color of that person's point of view. And then the next chapter will be about this guy, the king of whatever, and his view. I think the book did that too, where we'd sort of, if the narrator is the camera, we'd kind of follow Melanie as she explored this part of town, right? She'd leave the group and she'd go out and to do a thing and we'd follow with Melanie and we'd get inside Melanie's head. And then at another time, you know, the teacher would, would be overwhelmed and need to go up to the roof to work with the thoughts. And we would stay with Justin O, the teacher, uh, and, and learn her thoughts. So and that and that's pretty effective. In the movie, they don't really split up at all. There's right. yeah, they're all pretty much together. And I think again, I think that's the right choice for the movie, but I did miss I did miss some of the I did miss some of the juicy stuff in the book. And I thought, you know, the other thing I like about this movie is it doesn't really leave you any room for a sequel. Yeah. It's not, it's not setting up a sequel on the cynical way that I've come to even movies that you like there's no way you make a sequel to this set it up like well, just in case do, and you're like in case this makes a billion dollars we can but i mean yeah. if you if you did want to make a sequel of this movie you would just make it in the same universe you'd either make a prequel the fall of the world or you'd make a you know something where melanie and her other cohorts are older yeah and it's not a continue you know that there's just one through line it, it's like later some years later this is what's going on and you'd need to come up with a great story for that too but you could almost handle it like the new planet of the apes films or something where you know yeah. what i mean it would be this new society you know um yeah. one thing that i wondered about with the book is um the with the the military guy i thought his character was interesting because by the end of the film you get the feeling or I felt like he was just kind of a regular guy that was put in to bad circumstances. And he's not, it you just kind of got the feeling like he had to do the things that he had to do. He wasn't like a psychotic, you know, or malicious person. Right. And really just kind of wanted to do the right thing. And I don't know if they, do they give you any more, backstory or or uh motivation or anything for him in the book than they do in the film yeah you get into everyone's backstory a little bit more and what's driving them and glenn close you know you can't argue that glenn close isn't one of the great living american actors of our Mm -hmm. time 
And I think what Glenn Close did with this role was really interesting. Uh, just Glenn Close is such an, it, what it felt like was, I would not have, from the book, that's not, I did I, nobody in the movie was anything like I imagined. It's not about race and casting. It's about nobody in the movie was anything like I imagined having just read the book. So I just read the book. It was very vivid. I had pictures of these people in my mind. And then I watched the movie and nobody in the movie is anything like the pictures of the characters I have in my imagination from having just read the book. So there, there's some disappointment associated that with me, but the, and that's part of the reason why I wanted to get your take on it when you when you first read it. I would not have cast Glenn Close as the doctor from the book. That being said, I mean Glenn Close did a good job and brought a lot of subtlety to it. Did 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 her job? Did a great job. Um, but you do get the benefit in the book of understanding what makes these people tick and and how they're being driven and um. I think one of the successes of it is that it, both in the book and the film is you assume that these are going to be archetypes, that this is the hard ass military guy who just has an ax to grind. Uh, and that's not who the guy is. The world has ended and he has a job to do. And, you know, kind of priority one is keep everyone alive. Like I'm now responsible for all these people. Let's keep everyone alive. That's my top priority. Yeah. And you realize, oh, he's he's not a bad guy. He's just dealing with bad circumstances he's just the guy that is trying to get his job done like trying yeah. to get the job done you know in a in a world where the parameters are keep changing under his feet you know mm -hmm. and the same thing with the with the doctor i mean in the doctor she gets to be painted even more as a frankenstein even more as an evil experimenting and dissecting the kids brains and like she's more of a monster at the beginning of the book and by the end you see that that part of it is that she's being driven by glory. You know, there's there's definitely an ego involved. Mm -hmm. But the amount of sacrifice that she undergoes in pursuit of this goal of trying to solve this problem. And yes, she wants to be known as the one who solved the problem, but she also desperately wants to solve the problem. Yeah. At all costs. Um, and even comes to respect and i think even like melanie but sees melanie as the, the key like i can't i can't really do this i i have to be able to literally see inside your head like i need some cross sections of your brain tissue to confirm this i you are my raw materials that i can make i can do it <laughs> but i need you i need to take you apart to do it you know and i mm. I don't like that. I don't want to take you apart, but I want to solve this. And I think that I can, you know, Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that we don't get that scene in the book. And that's one of my favorite things in the movie is where she actually appeals to Melanie. Like Melanie could kill her. She's a skinny little 11 year old, but there's no doubt that Melanie she says I'm faster than you, you know, exactly. And just one-on-one. -on -one. And, and by the time in the book, even by the time we get there, she has a hand injury that's that's gone septic and is she's near death. Yeah, it, she's there. She's nothing anyway. But um, so what we don't get in the book is this great scene in the movie where she appeals to Melanie being like, you know, you can save Miss Justina. You can save everyone. And yes, I am asking you. I can't make you right. We you're right. My you could kill me in a heartbeat. So I, I can't make you. I'm asking you to sacrifice yourself because 
if you do, then I can save everyone. And in the movie, what Melanie decides to do is you had your time. Now it's our time. Right. Like that's yeah. not you can't really save everyone because those things that are already in us kids, those things are going to pop. Like there's going to be a lightning strike or a flood. Something's going to trigger that and it's going to kill all of you anyway. Yeah, um, I just I, <laughs> I the movie, I think it's such a great concept. I I do recommend the movie. I feel like it was a little disappointing to me after having just read the book because I loved, love, love the book so much. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I had never heard of this movie, I think part part of it is there weren't a bunch of great big names in it. And it was not doesn't feel like a big, expensive movie. I think the movie kind of slipped under the radar somehow. I had never heard of it. You mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And I thought it's a fresh take. Maybe it's people have zombie fatigue, but I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, that's like, like I, as I was saying, I definitely have zombie fatigue, but but I still really enjoyed this. One thing that you said that I definitely agree with is um, you were talking about the how Melanie is written versus, you know, the performance in the film. And as you said, nothing against this girl because she does a really good job. But as you know, it's already difficult adapting adults, you know, from a really good adult character from book to film. But it's really rare that you if you have a child character that you love the way they're written, it just always like I can remember all the way back in high school reading To Kill a Mockingbird and loving that book. And the film, I think, is maybe like regarded as like one of the hundred greatest films or something like that. Absolutely. And, you know, we read the book yeah. and then watched the movie in class. And I was just like, these kids are terrible. This is awful. You know, cause I loved the kid characters so much in the book, you know? And, and uh, so I just think that's uh, and, you know, I think a lot of times kids are written as kind of little adults, you know? Um, but it, it's, I think it's just so difficult, especially when you have a super intelligent, you know, child, uh, character in a in a you know something written I, it, I think it's just so tough to have that really translate on screen a a literally literally inhuman child character right mm -hmm. so this not only is this a child that has never known a mother or a father has only ever known this crazy laboratory so that that enough is like how do you play a kid that has had that kind of life and then second isn't even is only 50 percent sort of biologically human anymore that the entire nervous system is 50 percent this fungal entity you know it's just like it's really hard to ask a kid to do that and i think there are very few directors that get great performances out of children and steven spielberg is one of those. Um, somebody was talking about E.T. the other day, and I'm like, man, the performances he got out of those kids in E.T. And I know there's been some speculation about impropriety or whatever. I don't not if I hope there wasn't. I don't want to go down that road with Steven Spielberg because I love his work, but um you know. It, stepping sideways from the kids for a second, you know, you take beloved source material like the Lord of the Rings and Peter Jackson and those original trilogies. I think he knew those characters 
through and through and spent time with the actors being like, you know, talk to me about this because I we re- I really want to get, you know, I want to get on the same page with who Frodo is and what, you know, how Frodo navigates this world. And and he did he did that work with the actors on the world building. So he literally had his team building the world that they would shoot in building the Shire, et cetera. But he also did the work with the actors to make sure that they, in their imaginary, their creation of the characters, that they inhabited the same world. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's one of the reasons of the success of that franchise is the care that that director took with translating the intellectual reality of the beloved source material onto the screen with the collaborators, the human collaborators that were playing all these different elves and orcs and goblins and wizards. And yeah. Yeah. Halflings. The- um, and then you sent me that, you sent me that, uh, you sent me that uh TikTok of a guy that was like, you know, that was talking about all this new fantasy stuff and why it's no good. And I mean, I, I think that's the point right there is, it's you can't just take great source material and put it on screen and spend a lot of money on CGI. Mm-hmm. You have to be faithful. What people love about the source, yeah, they love the concept and yeah, they love the details and the sci-fi stuff. I do. I love all that stuff. But what really gets its hooks in you about these beloved, you know, print properties is the characters. And if you yeah. don't make the the characters feel real. It's it's in many ways it's easier in a book or a graphic novel because you're you're drawing it you're you're in control of all that you just say this is how it is and the characters are part of your imagination in that world then you have to hand it to real people to to make it feel plausible on screen and I think that's a challenge that when you see it done well, you start to, you go, oh, that was amazing. And then you look at something else and you go, like, why couldn't that be as good as the other thing was? Because it's really hard. It's difficult, yeah. <laughs> really hard to get everyone's imagination on the same page. You don't have budget to like get all the actors together and rehearse it for six weeks like it was a play. That's just yeah. not how films get done, you know. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that was the thing, as as I said, that, you know, that I enjoyed about this. I thought you had characters that were pretty, you know, pretty fleshed out. And there were some there were some scenes with Melanie that, you know, there were little things that they did that were were pretty heartbreaking. I thought it was her in this prison, essentially she's still very optimistic and and i don't know if that's something that had been drilled into her or if it just she just came up with that on her own but she's optimistic and and uh hopeful um and there's one scene you talked about the scene with glenn close where she's asking her to sacrifice herself and you're thinking maybe she is is going to do it and the teacher had found so the only clothing that she had was just this prison uh i don't know what you call it but like a prison like orange jumpsuit you know yeah. that the kids wore with crocs you know and uh the teacher found some when they they go and stay in this a hospital or 
mental hospital or something. And she finds some clothing for her, like some jeans and a, you know, like a, a girl's top. And she has tennis shoes with Velcro straps on them. And, you know, she's really excited about those Velcro straps. And there's a little thing when uh, she's, when she's talking with Glenn Close and, and Glenn Close is pleading with her to sacrifice herself. And it's like, she's, she's thinking about it and she's pulling those, you know, Velcro straps back and forth. Melanie is, and I just thought that was, that was kind of heartbreaking, you know, yeah. that it's like, she's never had anything really. And, you know, this is just something that would just be so normal for a kid. And I just thought that was a little nice little touch Yeah, that, that was, was touching yeah uh, you know and i think that i didn't know the actor uh what's his last name patty um is patty considine I'm, I'm never sure of the he was in house of the dragon he plays uh the king in house of the dragon okay great job in that and that was my first awareness of this actor who i think has been working in the uk for a while mm -hmm. uh does a great very human job of playing the sergeant in this and there's lots of little stuff that he isn't given any lines on but you sort of see it in his eyes like going back and forth between like you know protocol would say we have to do this but god damn it i care about this kid you know it's like you know yeah and i think that that a lot of that stuff makes it on screen through the performance and that's beautiful because the book is full of it uh the book, you know, it, the, um, just to know the teacher and Sergeant Parks, the sergeant, begin the story as uh, enemies. She hates him. She assumes he's this jarhead, you know, and that's all he is. And, of course, across the course of the book, they come, she, I think they come to get to know each other and... He sees her as a responsibility, someone to keep alive, but also somebody who just doesn't fundamentally get the playing field they're on. Like, mm -hmm. I, I know that you have emotions about this, but you, we cannot do that. That will get us all killed. Like, don't take this the wrong way, but sit down, shut up and do what I tell you or we're not going to live, you know, and, and, and they move through this state of like. Being feeling like they are polar opposites on a thing to the sort of implication it's not made explicit in the book to the sort of implication is right before the final um you know action of the movies that uh that the two of them have sex so there's sort of the sort of subtext in the and, and he goes on he and then there's a sort of an attack and he gets bitten and she does put him out of his misery. She, you know, he gives her her gun. He's like, I, I can't, I can't do it. Will you do me the favor? And so Melanie waits until he turns and then she shoots him. Um, and they have set the thing on fire. And the sort of implication in the book is that she is keeping the teacher alive because she loves her and she wants her to teach the kids, but also that the teacher might be carrying the sort of, her own second generation mm -hmm. might be bearing a child that could grow up in this world. Okay. And I, I one I love the book because it doesn't, it could, it very easily could like nail it down one way or the other, but it leaves it kind of ambiguous. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I feel like the, the film 
moves quickly enough, briskly enough from from A to B to C that it doesn't it doesn't allow itself any time to sort of ruminate. It doesn't let any of this stuff kind of marinate the possibility. It's all action A leads to consequence B, leads to choice C, which results in action D, which leads to consequence E, which results in choice F, right? So it's just mm -hmm. like, just survival is what's driving the movie. And I think that's appropriate on screen. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I really preferred about the book is they have a fight or flight. There's the book is full of survival moments. You, they're just constantly trying to survive this impossible journey from this outlying base that has fallen, mm -hmm. being hunted by these survivor uh, junkers, as they call them, humans, and trying to avoid getting bitten by this. London is full of of the hungries, right? The infected. <clears throat> And and they get to a place where they sort of survive by the skin of their teeth, and then they have a necessary downtime where they like spend the night indoors because in the book, the hungries can almost see your heat signature, like their their mm -hmm. vision at night. They can see they're even you're even in more danger at night because not only can they smell you, they can see a living thing that is prey. Um. So, so you go between these action sequences of like, go, 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 look out, look out, you know, and then, and then you kind of like, you you make it and you're like, oh my God. And you open up a, you know, a tin of beans and you sit and you kind of recover and it gets to be like, well, they're still human, right? They still have feelings. They're still processing stuff. They still have backstory. And, and it's that sort of flex and stretch of. In the morning, we're going to have to go back out in that world and try and survive as we continue to try and get back to Beacon, which is the only thing we can possibly even hope is a, is a haven, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I, uh, I I do, I recommend this film. I think it's a really fresh take on the zombie thing. I, I love that it feels like a relatively small film. And I think the performances are are great, despite the little nitpicks I've made. Um, but I super recommend the book. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, how often is it that you read something and then you say, oh, the, the I liked the better. movie, the movie was better. I mean, that almost never happens, you know, I think the, the junkers aspect is interesting because watching, you know, I was thinking kind of watching this, I was thinking, you know, why do part, partly I'm sure zombie movies can, and shows and everything because the walking dead has been so successful they're going to keep making these for a long time but also there's you know there's an audience for for it apparently and to me zombie the zombie apocalypse is really frightening because you know i don't believe in ghosts and i don't believe in you know there aren't vampires and all these kind of things so those things don't scare me but you know uh, I don't think there will be a zombie apocalypse, but it's, you know, there's a good likelihood and you could even say it's, it's probable that a virus or a fungus or a, 
you know, natural disaster or whatever is our, our society is going to get destroyed at some time. You know, there's probably a good likelihood of that. And so that's always been terrifying to me, but I also think there are, you know, I think there are some people that watch these films in almost a romantic way because they think they would be the junkers, right? Like, oh, I'd be, the, I'd, you know, I'd do great in this scenario. You know, you don't have to go to a job and, you know, I could live off the land and all this kind of stuff. And I think about the fact of just, you know, if I wear glasses and if I lost my glasses where they broke, and I could never have another pair of glasses again. Like if I tried to go outside right now, it's dark and driving my car without my glasses would be almost an impossibility. I mean, I could in an emergency situation, I could get around where I live just because I know where I'm going. But if I had to drive somewhere else, I would probably be in a car accident, you know, and uh, I just think about, you know, nobody thinks about like, oh, I wouldn't be able to get my insulin anymore or my anti, you know, uh, uh, my anti-seizure medication or whatever. So, you know, there'd be a whole lot of people that would just die because of lack you're, you're of depressant. medical care. <laughs> yeah, you're antidepressant or whatever. So, you know, we, it would be impossible as a society for us to return to like a colonial kind of of living, you know, I mean, uh, so I think that yeah. is, I think you put your finger on it precisely that the zombie, when Romero did it, it was always sort of a metaphor and particularly in the second film, a sort of metaphor for consumerism and mm. the unthinking participation in capitalism, this churn of this unsustainable model that we all participate in and keep going unthinkingly, you know, and we, we all are the walking dead. Um, and sure, a corpse coming to bite you, or I think the really upsetting things in these shows to me is when it's one of your loved ones, mm -hmm. you know, you see your child get bitten and you couldn't stop it. And then your child turns and now your child is trying to kill you and you have to, brain what until moments ago was your kid that you were like i would die to protect this but now it's the enemy that's trying to kill you right and just the idea of doing that in the first place or wrestling with the existential despair like you'd be like well now uh, that was what i was trying to survive this nightmare to prevent and now that that's happened why why not you know and like you said the idea of the the humans being real more being more dangerous than the monsters are if society uh, if we all stopped agreeing to to follow the rules and be nice to each other it would be a living hell mm -hmm. life on this planet because there's not enough resources you can't just go to the grocery store and buy and you're right there's a there's a group of people that are like that would be i'm ready man that would be amazing and i'm like uh you terrify me yeah yeah exactly i'm not that guy like if the world ended i'm like why am i surviving surviving for what like every day is a waking nightmare yeah I, that's I, good I, I because would. you know what i mean like i think i need a bullet i think i'd be and, one of those guys yeah. that just checked out i'd be like oh, well it was a good run while we had it i guess yeah i don't even i mean all you have to do is have a period of like we had 15 years or so ago we had a big storm 
in the middle of the summer and had no uh, electricity for a couple of weeks. And, you know, there were gas shortages and water shortages, you know, just in our little town. And you could very quickly see how, oh, this can break down real fast. Oh, yeah. You know? like people We're just hanging on by a thread. You know? Yes, it's $5 a gallon. You know, there's a line of cars and people are yelling and screaming at each other. And you're like, well, a lot, some of these people might have guns in their glove box. And yeah. you're just like, it's it's a soap bubble, man. Yeah, it's all and, agree to play by the rules when everybody is like fat and happy. But the minute it starts to feel not even hard, inconvenient, mm-hmm. people start to be like yeah. hostile to each other. You think, oh, boy, I don't know. It's really scary. I You have to kind of smile about it, but it's really yeah. scary. Yeah, I do not want any like you said, I would be looking for, you know, a bridge to jump off of or whatever, because I. I don't want to be just to not have electricity or air conditioning or whatever is enough for me. I got a bad eyes too. I got arthritis in my hip and I got a bad back. It's like, I'm not surviving anyway. You know, what and there would scramble away every day. I'm like, I can't scramble anywhere. There would be a percentage of people that, you know, I guess it would work out to their advantage or whatever, but there's a whole lot of those people that think, uh, it would be okay, and and then it's like, oh, I ran out of my blood pressure medication, you know, or whatever. So something, my gun isn't going to do me a whole lot of good, you, you know? know. Something only needs to go sideways once, right? Exactly. When all bets are off, you just need one lousy hand, and that's it. And it can be as banal as like, I don't know. I, it can just be something you you're, you're always taking something for granted. You're always you're like, well, that's settled. I don't have to worry about that. And that's the thing that you're like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. All right. So oh, I, I keep going back, I think I guess it's catharsis. Catharsis. That's why we watch these disaster dystopian things. It's just. Yeah. Get it out. Um, yeah, I would. Uh, so it, it sounds like you recognize recommend this even though you know the the book you prefer the book but yeah i enjoyed this as well it's all you know pretty um uh you know i don't have any real criticisms of of uh uh how it was handled you know like i like the the as you talked about the kind of the smallness of it you know you just have these few core characters and i i thought all of the performances were were really good um and the direction uh yeah the the direction was handled really well also with patty considine uh the two movies that i know him from most is he was in hot fuzz he's one of the cops in the in the little town in hot fuzz uh and then i i think i've mentioned this on the show before but there was a trilogy of films around like 2009 or 2010 or something like that called the red riding trilogy and they they take place over the first ones in i th- i want to say it's 1976 and then the second one which he is in is in 1980 and then i think the final one is in 1983 and they they are brilliant and cr- as depressing as anything that you'll probably ever watch because it's about a series of child murders mm-hmm. um but just outstanding outstanding films um that i would i would highly recommend it you know if you can handle the the subject matter of 
of is about kids that get murdered um but not like a graphic graphically violent film or anything no, like i'm that, familiar but... with the british you know crime drama Ooh. yeah it's that kind of yeah it was like oh my god yeah very very dark but all of these outstanding performances and just riveting uh to watch i think they're on rotten tomatoes it's way up in the 90 you know percentile but so have um have you watched anything else since we recorded last not really i've been it's been getting dark early so i've been kind of going to bed early just trying yeah i've definitely had that you know you i don't know if it's that seasonal affective disorder or what but it's just i just feel sleepy all the time you know this because i saw uh uh, somebody's tweet about it. We're not meant to uh, work in December. It's like, you know, we're just meant to like hunt and, you know, get fat and, you know, survive through the winter, uh, which I thought was funny. But I watched a couple of things. I watched the first episode of, I don't know if you've seen anything about it or not, but Wednesday on Netflix, the Adams Family uh, thing. And I think it's Tim Burton directed the first few episodes, I think. And, um, the girl who plays Wednesday is fantastic. She's great. Um, and all the performances are good. I think it's, I think I'm a little too old for it. And it's probably more, you know, uh, uh, geared maybe towards teen girls, but, but still I, I I'll probably give it another episode and, you know, and see what the, I think of it. And then yesterday I watched, um, so I have shutter and they added this new, um, horror film called uh, Christmas Bloody Christmas and it's a pretty it was okay uh it's a pretty great premise it's a the military has developed these robots for you know fighting in the Middle East or whatever and the company that makes that manufactures the robots decides to make robot Santa Clauses and there's one in a toy store in this town and it reverts back to its department of defense uh uh programming it goes on and it gets an axe and like goes on a killing spree and you know starts killing people in this town and uh it it was a low budget film it was shot on 16 millimeter um and overall it, it was fine the for the budget the direction is really outstanding in it and i'm sure this guy will get a a higher budget you know film at some time but it was um and i'm not a prude or anything but it was basically they probably used the f word a thousand times in the you know and it's basically just every sentence is an f word you know so it just it's very very crass um but feels very much like a an 80s exploitation film without it takes place today um so but it's a fun it's a fun premise you know with basically and they very liberally borrow from the terminator <laughs> on in this because it's basically a terminator as santa claus but but you know overall pretty fun yeah cool yeah little guy makes good it's a good it's a good idea yeah it's a, it was a great premise you know and and just silly you know overall yeah. pretty fun but so Cool. I am looking forward to seeing you in person when we're back in our hometown. We're yeah, yeah, that's going to be great. And we have talked about what we're going to watch. 
but uh, let's not spoil it here. We'll do some some live screening together where we record. We're going to record while we watch. Yeah, we should. Yeah, I think that'll be. I think I think that'll be a lot of fun. What about next time? What do you think? So I sent you a trailer um, for one that neither of us has seen. Uh, and I don't know if you'd want to do two bummer end of the world type things in a row, but I sent you a trailer for Miracle Mile that's from 1988 and it has uh, yeah. Goose from Top Gun. I don't remember what that guy's yeah. name is. Okay. Miracle Mile. Is that? I'm going to just make sure. Oh, yeah. Let's make sure it's available somewhere before because we run into this sometimes where we do old stuff. And even this, uh, uh, the girl with all the gifts, what did you watch it on? Because I didn't even find it like on Prime. I watched it on the Roku channel with I ads. I watched it on YouTube and I had to sit through ads and I hate that. Yeah, I hate that too. So I was a little surprised for such a new film that it wasn't kind of more readily available. But Miracle Mile says you can watch it for free on Tubi or Pluto TV or you can rent it for four bucks on Apple TV or Prime. Okay. Video. So I'll probably rent it and just the, the ads. But, and uh, neither of us have seen this, so this isn't giving anything away. But it this has to do with I, I guess it's a nuclear attack in the United States, and uh, the uh, the the trailer, even though it's about a nuclear attack, makes it seem kind of fun. But I've heard that it's much darker than what the trailer makes it out to be. That it's pretty, you know, it's pretty bleak. But uh, but it it looks like a dark days of December. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something that I would I would maybe warn people a bit uh, with this girl with girl with all the gifts. You know, it's not the most depressing film that I've ever seen, but it is, you know, bleak. Uh, and so maybe if you're if you're having the holiday blues and, you know, it's not uh, one of those fun and inspiring zombie films, but it is not a it's not a popcorn zombie movie you know this is more of a thinker and yeah if you if you're if you're feeling sad probably probably don't put this one on i would say yeah head towards the sunny side of the street exactly so but yeah so I, if you want to do miracle mile i think that would be because it's a you know people talking about almost like a lost classic one of the underrated films of the 80s that that maybe yeah. a lot of people hadn't That's haven't what we're seen. Gonna do. 1988 Miracle Mile for next time, folks. Chris and Chris Talk Movies at gmail.com. That's our handle. We're on the socials. We're on YouTube. You can ping us. You can comment. You can like and subscribe. You can correct us. You can tell us what we didn't get right. You can suggest films. You can like and subscribe. We love that. And do all uh, those things. Thank you for joining us as always. Maybe this is your first time. Thanks for, for tuning in. Um, Miracle Mile for next uh, week and unless you have anything else to add Mr. Huddlestone no I think that is all then we will talk to you all next week